Yeah, I think, I mean, the whole thing puts a lot of pressure. Um, when, when you, when you circle a, a date in the calendar, 16 weeks out, for example, and you know, we're all humans and most of us aren't like full-time professional athletes, obviously. So for me, that's like really important for my mental health and my anxiety that I'm able to distinguish the, the results on a race or a competition versus who I actually am. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, and other guests. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for building a more resilient mind. If you enjoy listening, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we have on Mark Bottenhorn, who is an ultra-endurance athlete, coach, and owner of Run Strong. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well, Brock. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to kick off with what is what was like your first kind of love with training? Because as we'll get into a little bit later, you've kind of dabbled in everything from bodybuilding to ultra sports to, you know, hydrox and different things you're doing like right now. And I want to know, like, what was kind of like that first love that kind of grabbed you into fitness beyond, okay, PE classes or sports like we all do growing up? Yeah. So ironically, like my cousin, Chris and I are very close in age and I don't have any brothers or sisters. So I would spend a lot of time with him. Um, and we would always watch like replays of the world's strongest man, which is like, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a weird thing to get me to where I am now. Um, but we like fell in love with it. So we'd always just try to challenge each other. We were always really competitive and I really love competition. And I think like to really compete, you have to train a lot. So I naturally just fell in love with it. So we'd like carry like gigantic logs through the woods, like up at our cabin or <laughs> like a like, homemade world strongest man yeah it was like it was like crossfit and the world strongest man kind of combined together i'm pretty sure it was before there was crossfit so it was, yeah that was that that's probably the that's probably i would say that's it yeah yeah <laughs> that's it yeah because i i came up definitely a more like traditional route where like you get into high school you're like i you know i grew up a little bit chubby some people are skinny whatever you want to you know look a little bit better for the girls and you're you're coming into adolescence and all that so you start hit the weight room, bodybuilding and things like that. But that's definitely like an interesting, an interesting route to take. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, like, I feel like I've been, I've been training legitimately been like weight training since I was like seven or eight years old and people yeah. would be like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't well, do that stuff that young. Dude, but like, I think, well, a, yeah, most of those people are stupid. I feel like as long as it's, you know, reasonably safe and it's like body weight or lightweight, like it's, it's, it's only good yeah. for you. And the funny thing, like you just said, like having that, especially the older you get, you're so glad you started early because, you know, I see so many people, uh, you know, back, especially when I was owning my gym in Virginia, you know, you see a lot of these kids that are starting in college or they're starting, you know, a little bit later in life. And, you know, they'll ask, how do you get a physique like mine or like someone else's or how do you, you know, bench 225, right? They're just starting. And you're like, oh, it's going to take years. Like, it's not like, you know, that's the problem with a lot of fitness culture now is they see a TikTok of somebody hitting a PR every week and they think that just happens forever. But there is this like long period of learning your body and progression and especially with physique it just takes so many years. So having that base of like, you know, I've been lifting for like eight years at this point. You've obviously been lifting way longer than that. And, you know, it's just nice to you thank yourself later on basically is what I'm trying to say from starting so early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think all that's true. And then people don't mention the regressions like along yeah. the way too. Like it's not yeah. just this like linear path. There there are a lot of setbacks and regressions around the way too that you don't probably see in those TikTok reels. But it's so true. I think that's also provided a challenge with like early on in my coaching career because like I've never known anything different than mm -hmm. like 
And so when I work with people who are like, I'm having trouble getting out the door today to go run, mm-hmm. I'm like, at, initially I couldn't understand that. And and now I've been able to bridge the gap and, and, and do work with athletes like that. But initially I was, it was very hard for me to grasp that concept because I just it was so poor. Yeah. You know, and that's something I think we even talked about it a little bit in the DMs a while back was like the kind of like must be nice thing or a lot of people come up with excuses and, you know, we forget that we made these big changes in our lives and in our attitudes and behaviors over years of small little steps. And I always like reference that, you know, however mentally tough I think I am today, I think I'm way tougher than last year, way tougher than five years ago. You know, the things that would have made me quit or, you know, getting out of bed, like you mentioned, it would have been a struggle when I first started, but now it's just second nature. So especially with, you know, and you'll have this experience with years of coaching is everybody comes from a different standpoint and, you know, making that change isn't as easy as it seems from our perspective. No, it's, it's totally true. And I've been able to learn that along the way, but um, yeah, I, I, I like it also like uh, the, the best way to say it is like, I'm grateful for all these experiences I've had and all these habits I've built, but it's, I think that like my relationship with my athletes is like, it goes to show that it's never too late to like, make that change because I see so many of those athletes that maybe didn't have the upbringing or, or what I had, but mm-hmm. they're still doing really well. And I have athletes who haven't started to run until they're 30 and now they're 41 and they're, they're winning races and things like that. So it's like, um, you know, I say it's like important to start early, but I also realize that, that people can do really, really big things and it's not too late to start it right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So back into a little bit of your background, what got you into, ultra endurance because that's obviously been a big kind of part of your accolades is you know winning some of these ultra endurance events having these top uh placings or finishing time so how did you kind of get involved in that uh that culture and that sport yeah so I, i've run probably as long as i can remember um i didn't run like like competitively in high school or anything like that i did run the 800 one time but that's completely different but um <laughs> over overall like i've been running since i was a kid like running through the woods and running in trails and stuff like that my cousin we would just like do stuff like that nonstop. And then, you know, when I was in high school, like I would go out for like 20 mile runs. I didn't track it. I didn't time it. I don't know, but I had to figure like <laughs> looking back at some of those routes, like I was running for three hours sometimes or more. And so like, um, I knew that I always loved it. And it wasn't until, uh, after playing like college soccer and then post-collegiate soccer that I really decided to kind of go like all in on the running thing. And that's largely because, uh, one of my college professors, he was my history professor. who's also the cross country and track and field coach at the college that I went to. And we had a soccer combine and for whatever reason, uh, he came down to watch it. And I have no idea why this is relevant in like a professional soccer combine, but there was like a, a time mile and uh, we all ran it in soccer cleats. I think I ran like just under five minutes, but it was like on gravel and rocks and cement. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing soccer cleats, um, a little bit of grass. And when I came through, like I was the first one by a lot. And, I, and when I came through the, he was like, man, you could really run. Like you've never, you've never competed before or anything. And I was like, no. So he invited me to run on the, um, the indoor track and field team once my soccer season ended and I ran with them. But some of these guys were like, um, you know, they were like under 14 minutes in the 5k or low 14 minutes in the 5k. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, these dudes are like flying. I can't even imagine it, but that's what got my start into the sport. And I didn't know anything different than like the excellence that they were doing. So I, Really, I just hit the ground running in the sport and had the best like mentors and teachers around. Yeah, there are some people, you know, like a, a close friend of mine, uh, this kid I grew up with, still close with to, uh, today, Zach. He, we used to have this, uh, it's called, called like the Golden Shoe Competition in elementary school. We basically like run the track loop for like six minutes. You do as many loops as you can. 
it ends up being like, you know, two loops for most kids. They end up walking a lot of it. But I remember in fifth grade, he ran a full like six laps or what was it, eight laps, whatever it was in the six minutes. So this is like an 11 year old kid running a sub six minute mile. Some people just got it, man. Like, I mean, we talk about like genetics, but some people, you know, they just have a knack for running or for lifting or whatever it is. Just that, you know, as soon as you have it, when you notice it, you kind of just got to like dive into the sport and just see, you know, what you're capable of. Yeah, 100%. I don't see myself as like a pure, like true out and out runner. Like yeah. my muscle fiber type and distribution is not ideal for somebody who wants to be like in <laughs> like elite professional runner. Yeah. So like um, the ultra stuff is different because you can get away with it because it requires strength and it requires like That's why I think I'm drawn to it is because I look at my body and I'm not someone to say, you know, oh, I could never be a fast runner. I could never run sub six. Obviously, like, you know, with the right training, time, effort, you can. But I will say, like, my attitude goes much more towards the ultra endurance side because of, like you mentioned, the strength aspect, the mental fortitude aspect. I almost feel like not that I'm going to be winning. I'm (laughs) I'm going to be, you know, chasing cutoff times to some extent, at least, you know, these first few years. But it's like. I feel I can bridge that gap that I'm missing with the years of experience of cross country or different things that these people have in their background. I can bridge that gap with some mental strength, some leg strength uh, and leg endurance from all the years of lifting that I've done. Yeah. I think it translates really well too. I, I have like a lot of my ultra runners, I have them train kind of like power lifters mm-hmm. in the weight room at least. And it, it seems to make them more durable in the training too, which, you know, 80% or some 75% of, uh, endurance primary athletes end up with some type of overuse injury in a given year. Um, you're significantly less likely to to develop any of those overuse injuries because of the musculature and the structure that you have. So in some ways, I think you have like a physical bit of resilience too on top of the mental stuff. Yeah, I've so actually been really fortunate because a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, do you ever have shin splints? Do you have these different things? And I don't really have any of that because I think I've had so much years of, like you mentioned, strength training to kind of build up bone density and, and you know, strengthen my muscles and joints and tendons and all of that. Uh, but one thing I did notice, though, and maybe, you know, you can speak on this with any injuries you've had in the past, is you might be very strong in a squat, very strong in certain positions, but then you realize how weak you are in other positions. For example, I've been, you know, battling this IT band stuff uh, for the past, like, year, basically, and what I realize is how weak my glute medius is, basically. And I wouldn't think, you know, I'm like, oh, I can deadlift, you know, close to 500 pounds, or I can squat this. Like, I have strong glutes. But then you kind of look at it, and you're like, yeah, they might be strong, but the stability in that glute medius, that little small muscle on the side, you know, your knee is just kind of internally, you know, popping in and rotating. And, uh, you know, over steps and thousands of steps on a trail run, it makes a difference, right? And that's where, you know, the injury or inflammation pops up. Yeah, no, this, like I have, I have some of those imbalances as well. I feel like it's unavoidable when you when you're doing a lot of different things, and like there's no possible way to to completely like kind of stamp out all of those mm-hmm. things if you want to try to be good at multiple things. Unfortunately, it comes with the territory of being yeah. like a crossover or hybrid athlete. Mm-hmm. And but I think if you can figure out your weaknesses like you did and, and try to and try to train them, you can probably limit that to some degree and not deal with it. Somewhere. Yeah. So how do you approach hybrid training? Because you know you're a great athlete that I look to. Um, and kind of analyze some of your training to where, you know, you do a huge balance of, I I don't know, I'm not sure you can correct me if, I don't think you do as much powerlifting now as you were when you were mainly like powerlifting and running, but I think you do a great job of mixing in and balancing running and lifting because I think the hardest part, right, is the recovery and making sure you're not kind of overdoing it, especially on like the lower body. 
Yeah. So like just recently, so it was kind of like the high rocks, like off season, if, if there is one. Um, so just recently, like I was trying to put a little bit of muscle on, but put a lot of strength on. So I lowered my running volume to kind of make up for that. And I was doing some more powerlifting focused stuff, um, like squatting back, like close to 400 pounds. Well, I took, I took 375 for a double. So like probably somewhere near 400 pounds. I just didn't go up that high. Mm. Um, but gained a lot of strength back that way. Um, typically what I do is like two to three power lifting kind of focused strength sessions a week. Uh, I try to run five or six days a week. I spend a lot of time on the bike trainer and then I add like three or four Metcons in, mm-hmm. uh, like for me, it's all about volume, getting high volume in. Luckily I work in a career where I can like pop out yeah, like 30 minutes from now and go in my garage and train. Um, and I know everybody doesn't have that luxury, but, but for me, like training volume is king. Um, but a lot of it's done at a very low intensity. Um, and that's what's necessary for kind of like longer races, success in those longer races. So, um, typically in any training cycle, I go from least specific to most specific. So like now it's kind of like, I was just running base mileage and I was doing powerlifting focused stuff. Uh, now as we're getting closer to the race easing, I'm adding more Metcons and like metabolic conditioning, high rock specific workouts in dropping some of the powerlifting stuff off. Um, and then adding in more speed work as we get closer to the race. And then the final probably four or six weeks will be a lot of compromise running high rocks, focused like kind of hybrid workouts gotcha you know what i realized is i've been calling it or i did call it hydrox because i it's yeah high rocks. what is uh high rocks because i've seen you know i've seen you eric a lot of these other uh 10,000 guys jumping into this because it seems to me like kind of like crossfit but definitely it's its own animal yeah so i i look at it as like almost like an endurance like crossfit endurance in some ways so it's uh it's a functional fitness race um, in this case, you have eight fitness stations, and then between each station, you have a 1K uh, run. So it start, the race starts with a 1K run. It ends with 100 wall balls, uh, with a 20-pound wall ball for men or 14-pound for women. And um, in between, it has like rowing, ski erg, sled push and pull, uh, farmer's walk, uh, walking lunges, burpee broad jumps. Um, Anything and, <laughs> yes yes exactly it's a, it's a lot of repetition so that's what i talk about with the powerlifting thing like least specific would be that type of strength while it's important for the sled because the sled's very heavy um that's probably least specific to this event and so like the reps go up the the running after doing like lunges for example goes up so it's really to meet those demands when i talk about that yeah so one thing you've been very vocal about and i think it's you know it's helped a lot of people on your instagram is kind of like the mental health side and the well mental side overall of competing because uh, you come off you know big successful years with endurance running and then you've also had some down years uh to where you know races haven't gone the way that you want them to or you've had to drop injuries things like that so how do you kind of balance knowing that mentally you probably need a race a goal something to be competitive towards to kind of give you that a, a little bit of purpose in your training and, and excitement but also knowing kind of where to draw the line. Yeah. So I don't think I'm ever at a risk of overcompeting um, just because the way I'm wired, I've been very fortunate to be like training is the whole thing for me. Like the journey, the process for me, that, that means the most, I actually don't even almost look forward to racing a lot of times. And I've, mm-hmm. and I've, and I've kind of toyed with the idea of not racing competitively anymore in any of these aspects. Um, but ultimately I keep coming back. But the, the, you know, the reality is that like, two or three weeks out from any race, it's not that I'm nervous. I just, 
I want to keep making progress. And like when you're tapering, you're not making progress. And then you yeah. got like two weeks after the race where you're not making progress. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm having so much fun like this last <laughs> nine weeks making all this progress. Um, so for me, like it's important to get a race on the, on the schedule because you have to have something to look forward to. Like you said, yeah. you have to have something to be working towards if, you, if you're really goal oriented. Um, but putting too much on, I think you're going to get into this kind of, uh, quality over quantity situation where you're not picking races that are strategic. And there are a lot of people like locally who will go race, like they'll go to the brewery over here and race and win it, or they'll go to these like local races and try to win those. But like, for me, there's no, that's not exciting for me. Like to do that every weekend. Like I want to race against the best people. Mm -hmm. And you know, most of the time when you're racing against elite, elite athletes, you're not going to win because like the world championships, for example, we, you know, we came in third place in the world. Right. And I hate, I hate losing. I hate it so much, but like in the day we were third place in the world. Right. And yeah. we're testing ourselves against the best athletes. So like, for me, that's what it's all about. So like, I'm not going to jump into too many little races. Sometimes I'll use this training, but overall, like I want to be competing against the best. And if you're going to do that, it needs to be a quality situation where you're not doing a bunch of them. Yeah. You know, I also feel like, like you said, I think it's important to have that, that thing to look forward to, right. And really test yourself and see kind of, you know, the progress that you've worked towards. But a lot of times the, the struggle that I've come up with, with setting a certain date uh, to, to kind of, you know, see your max effort or max performance is that life happens, you know, whether an injury pops up or, you know, a taper could go awry. It definitely gets tricky with that. Right. And, you know, when you're in the zone, when you're in kind of like those peak training weeks, you feel like you're training your best or you're, you're feeling and performing your best. And so once you try and like, dial it in on an exact day to feed yourself accurately and perform your best it just gets tricky right versus if you're kind of just going with the flow yeah i think i mean the whole thing puts a lot of pressure um when, when you when you circle a, a date in the calendar 16 weeks out for example and you know we're all humans and most of us aren't like full-time professional athletes obviously so there are a lot of things that are going to creep up in life. And, um, you know, if you put all your eggs in the basket and you measure yourself worth based on the outcome, um, you're never going to really be happy in that situation. So I've learned myself to like not measure myself as a person, an athlete, a father, um, mm. based on outcomes alone, whether good or bad, because I could win everything, but then I'd be potentially neglecting my daughter. Right. Or I could win nothing, but I'm packing so much living into my life and doing so much for other people. So there has to be some kind of balance. And I'm like hella competitive. I'm the most competitive person that you know, um, guaranteed. And um, in, in my later years here, I've learned how to kind of hone that and, and, and use it for good. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's like really important for my mental health and my anxiety that I'm able to distinguish the, the results on a race or a competition versus who I actually am. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned you're also a father and so you understand that, you know, or you mentioned that it's not easy for everybody trying to balance uh, being a dad, being you know great at your job and then also training and doing all these different things. How has having your daughter around kind of changed your perspective or maybe added some urgency to to be your best self, to train your hardest? Or how has that kind of shaped how you train in general? Well, I've, as you know, I've always trained hard, um, yeah. but with, with her here and in my life, I realized that she watches everything. Like these kids are watching like everything that we do. And, um, I want to like lead by example in everything that I do. And that's no different with my daughter. Um, so the, the reality is it's like, it, it gives me an extra push because like, 
I know that she's watching. Like she's seeing her dad on world championship mm -hmm. podiums and, and win races and also seeing when things aren't going my way and how I respond to those things and handle them. Um, so for me, it's been, it's, it's truly like the greatest gift in the world to, to be able to be a father. And um, the responsibility that comes along with that kind of propels me and keeps me moving forward towards my goals. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people, I think like they might say, well, you train so much, like you could be spending more time with your, with your family. But a lot of times she's like popping in the gym with me or whatever. But I, I think like I need to show her that you like, you don't just give up, you keep pushing your goals because I know so many of my like people that I went to school with and everything like that, they've kind of just given up on themselves and their goals mm -hmm. and everything. And, and for me, I want Maya to see that all things are possible and you keep pushing. Yeah, absolutely. So you're also a coach and you run, is Run Strong basically your coaching company that you kind of fall under? Yeah, it's my coaching platform. I'm currently coaching about 60 athletes um, under that platform. So all uh, individualized coaching and then launching an application soon or an app, a mobile app. Cool, cool, cool. So with that, what is your kind of, what are the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to, uh, especially with endurance training or getting into uh, ultra marathon training? Because I know some people train off, for example, uh, mileage, right? Like a typical kind of marathon training program. And some people go towards like hours. So how do you approach, I guess, training your athletes for these events? Yeah. So, I mean, it's all individual and based on what yeah. the person needs. Some people might thrive on prescribing time. And I like to go towards time for a lot of people because, um, especially if you live in a place that there's very terrain. So like if I get, I have an athlete named Lauren, who's an excellent marathoner and ultra marathoner, she just came in fourth place at one of the biggest ultras in like the country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she lives at altitude, but she trains on the road a lot. On the weekends, typically she go out on the trails. So, like, if I give her 11 miles, like, on the road, that may take her 75 or 80 minutes, we'll mm -hmm. say. Um, but if I give her 20 miles on those trails, sometimes it might take four hours, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the human body doesn't recognize miles or kilometers or meters. You can measure by anything you want. But what we really understand is kind of time under tension or time yeah. under aerobic stress, um, time under metabolic stress. So when we um, – when we look at prescribed training, I'm, I'm looking to do a certain amount of hours because that's controllable for me, right? Like their miles could be on the track, their miles could be on a treadmill, their miles could be on these trails. And like, I might only add 5% on, but one week it could be seven hours of training. The next week it could be 14 because they decided to run more on the trails. So like, I'd rather control the variables um, if that makes any sense. Between you. So with, especially with your trail running athletes, do you typically keep it very, uh, a mix of steady and longer in slower state kind of uh what do you call it, training runs or do you mix in speed work and how do you mix the speed work is it mostly hill stuff or do you get them on the roads yeah so again i i pref i want people to do their speed work on flat or runnable surfaces uh one because i want to minimize the risk of injury like if you're mm -hmm. if you're running a hard fart like on a trail um there, there's a lot of rocks roots yeah, a lot of, a lot of things that can go trouble. wrong <laughs> yeah but also if we want them to develop out and out speed like i think the most efficient surface is always better sometimes the track is maybe a little bit too much because it makes people run a little bit too fast um but like it might be being on a road if you have to stop at traffic lights all the time and stuff like that so uh, i prefer a flatter faster surface for their speed work even if like i think if you take a good runner and you make them into a good runner they're going to be a good runner on the trails as well so maybe we leave their longer stuff on the weekends for trails that's uh, what i typically like to do Gotcha. So but yeah, it's still important to note that, that like 80% of pretty much any of my like endurance athletes, 80% of their volume comes at a, like a maybe lower than 70% effort. So really like low zone two aerobic stuff. Okay. 
So I imagine you don't train them. Well, no, it sounds like you do. Do you train them basically off heart rate? Because I know some people, again, to each his own, right? Some people focus a lot on heart rate. Some people focus more on uh, RPE, different things like that. So I try to steer everybody towards RPE training. So yeah. like at perceived exertion. But the reality is some people like love data and they want to train um, based on heart rate. And so if they do train based on heart rate, that's fine. But to be truly accurate, we need to be able to to have like an accurate baseline. So you need to know like what their max heart rate is because a lot of people are just taking their age, subtracting the their age from 220. <laughs> right. But, but like that, but I know somebody who's who's 40 years old and their max heart rate's 203. Mm-hmm. So based on that formula, they'd be training everything in too low zones to be truthfully effective. So I think perceived exertion is, is really the best route to go. And then not to mention the heart rate sensor technology. If you're not using a chest strap, it's yeah. very inaccurate. Like an, an ocular sensor is really inaccurate. And I see that you have like tattoos. Obviously I do too. Like that yeah, affects yeah. the reading. So I was just that, about to say, I was like, once I got my other wrist done, it was, it was over, you know, and sometimes it picks it up and you could say, Oh, just flip it on the inside. It's like one, that's just like a weirder way to wear a watch for me. And then like two, I think it's almost been a good excuse for me to not look at my heart rate because again, you kind of overanalyze that. And it actually brings me to a point, you know, another formula that I feel like a lot of people overuse in my opinion. And I don't think it's like the best way is the, uh, the Maffetone method, right? A lot of people use that yeah. kind of formula and subtract that. And I feel like the knowledgeable people I look to, the running coaches I respect the most, think it's nonsense. And then, you know, but it's but it's widely used because maybe one or two popular people have very, you know, great success with it. But as you mentioned, if your age is a lot higher, then the math, the, the, the math gets really funky and weird, and it's just not standardized. You can't just standardize it like that, you know? Yeah, but I'd argue people that are having success with it are having success because they're doing a lot of low intensity exactly. and high volume work. Anyway, yeah. Um, Right, and it's important to know that Dr. Phil Maffetone is a chiropractor. He's yeah. not. He's not a. He's not a cardiovascular like doctor. He, you know, he's not a sports performance, sports medicine doctor. Um, and then when he gets into the nutrition, it gets even wonkier. And 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 so no, I don't. I don't want to go as far as to say it's nonsense because at a base level, it does work to run most of your. But you need to recruit other muscle fibers. Um, you're never going to run truly fast if you don't run some stuff fast at race anyway. pace or faster. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I prefer that, like you maybe follow the 80, 20 rule in general. So 80% mm-hmm. of your volume comes easy. When I looked at my intensity, my intensity distribution, um, as an athlete, I think I was somewhere around 83% easy mileage, um, like 15% kind of in the threshold range. And then like two to 3% at VO2 max in any given week. Um, and I think that's where probably most of my athletes would fall. Some need more, some need less because it's all individualized, but overall, I think rate of perceived exertion. 80% of your mileage to be conversational by effort. You know, if you can sing, you're probably running too slow. If you can, or, you know, yeah, if you, if you can sing, you maybe speed up a little bit, but if you can't talk, then maybe slow down. And then like threshold stuff to just be comfortably uncomfortable, like something that you can maybe hold for an hour, somewhere between 10 K and half marathon pace, depending on the level of the F. And that's really the best way to do it. And that's the way I see the most successful athletes. Yeah. I have a guy who's run, you know, I coach a guy named Brian who is, Runs one of the top ultra running performances. He is an alternate on the U.S. 100K team. Um, you know, he ran the maybe the fourth fastest 100K in America last year in North America. And he doesn't. He only uses a GPS watch to measure how far it goes, but he runs everything by effort and just tries to stick in those intensity zones. And that's the most successful. Like, I don't need a whoop or some other thing to tell me in the morning. And I don't mean to cause any issues with any of these things because <laughs> they all have their place, especially if they're a sponsor on your podcast. But yeah, <laughs> but when I 
when I wake up in the morning, I don't need something to tell me if I can or can't train. I know. That's like, my, I might that's feel my argument against the whoop is like, I don't want to listen to this thing telling me to rest. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like if I feel great, I, I go and run at the intensity. I think yeah. if I don't feel so great, I dial back the intensity. It's pretty intuitive, but like, uh, that's the way it should be in my opinion. A hundred percent. I think, you know, you nailed it. Like, and, and sometimes a lot of this, especially if, if someone's very new or they're a year into running, lifting, whatever it is, then trying to do something intuitive is difficult, right? Cause they don't know their limits, but you know, I, I do think RPE or, 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 you know, gauging your effort on a run is very is the best way to go. Just because there's so many factors, like you mentioned, the humidity, right, can change, uh, you know, your heart rate, the altitude. If you're on a trail versus a road, like you're going to have a lot more uh, different spikes, basically, from the elevation change uh, and, and different terrain that you're dealing with. So I, de I definitely think I just feel like it's like a no brainer at this point, unless you're doing maybe, you know, marathon road training very systematic, you have the heart strap, you know, maybe you can go that route. But uh, I definitely think, you know, we'll see more people kind of stick to that RP route uh, as just more people have more success doing that. Yeah. And I mean, I argue that like Alberto Salazar is one of the like, he's yeah. probably a bad name to bring up because he's a cheater, but that's, <laughs> I guess, not the point. In the 1980s, like him and Frank Shorter were, were, were running 212 or 211 in the marathon. They didn't have any mm -hmm. like GPS watch. Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use technology, but we shouldn't let it rule us and dictate everything mm -hmm. that we do because it's a lot of it's based on an algorithm that works for maybe 50% of the population. Are yeah. you in that 50%? I don't know. So that's yeah. like, if you're thinking you want to trust data on everything you do, but if you don't have lab tests that tell you at like what point you hit your ventilatory thresholds mm -hmm. or at what point you're, you're, you're burning more carbohydrates than fat, then, then what's the point of training by that? Because you don't even know if your baseline data is accurate or what you're aiming for is accurate. So I think perceived exertion takes a lot of the workout. Uh, one day, like a threshold run for me might be at 540 pace. One day it might be 530. The next day it might be 555. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. because really I'm just trying to hit that effort level knowing that like so many factors go into what's going to dictate my heart rate, even what I ate before, how hydrated I am, all of mm -hmm. these things. So it's, it's, it's going to vary so much that it's almost like it's not even worth trying to chase it down. Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. In it's like a little bit less than four weeks now. I'm running uh my first fifty miler at Crested Butte, Colorado. What tips or advice do you have for me? Oh, I would, I would. <laughs> so like during the race or leading up to the race? Um. Well, I I'll tell you what I'm doing, uh, and you can critique it, and I'll I'll probably take the advice. Uh, I have. I haven't been able to train as high mileage as I want because, like I said, I was battling the IT band and even more than, like, not causing issues with it because I've had, you know, barely any instances where I've inflamed it or pissed it off. But it's more it's, – it's been such a hard mental thing to overcome, like trusting my body to go past a certain point of mileage or time. And anytime I get a sensation in my quad or calf, I'm almost, like, already thinking about my knee. And you almost think it and cause it. You know what I mean? But anyway – you know, I'm going out to a trail, getting good elevation and like 1,500 to 2,000 feet. So I'm spending another like three, three and a half hours out there tomorrow. Um, and then I'm going to spend basically, I'm going to kind of work up the time. So right now I'm at like five and a half hours of, of like running a week. going to probably work it up to like six, six and a half and then taper like a week and a half out and kind of just bring it down to some like, you know, a couple hour, hour and a half runs a week. Critique it. <laughs> No, I, I think I think that's a good idea. It's not like the most scientific plan, but no, at this is. point, you're, you're making do with what you can. Um, I would maybe look at like if you want to achieve your desired kind of volume, I'd look at maybe some kind of like lower impact cross training to add in. 
um, just gets the 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 aerobic Cycling. system under. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about yeah. Um, as long as it's not going to be so much that it hampers your recovery, because then you got to look at risk versus reward. Um, so so that's good. And I don't know how your um how your IT band does, but if you can do some treadmill power hiking. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe yeah. at like a six or 7% grade at three and a half or four miles an hour. It's something that you're going to use at that, at that 50 mm -hmm. mile in Crested Butte. So it's um, really falls under the kind of specificity lens. And then just remember that ultra running is all about time on your feet. Yeah. Um, so you don't like, if you go out for a three hour long run, you're probably not going to be running all of it. Just keep mm -hmm. moving forward, relentless forward progress. Yeah. Um, and, you can, and you can transfer that over into your rates. But overall, it seems like you have a, a pretty solid plan without diving. Into yeah. So that's what details. Yeah, and that's that's what I've been focusing on is uh, basically just that time under feed, like you said, and and utilizing almost treating you know these especially the long efforts like race day to where you know I see a steep incline, I'm gonna focus on that walk to run transition and just get into that power hike, and then as soon as I get to some flatter or downward you know terrain, then get back into a jog and not stress about you know how much of it am I running. Uh, you know, because even if I can, you know, run up this uphill section, you know, pacing yourself over what's going to probably be, you know, 12 to 14 hours for me, I need to kind of, you know, conserve that energy, practice my fueling, things like that. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm glad I'm mostly on the on the right track. Yeah. I haven't gotten into the, the science of it. And I actually, I was going to shoot you a message sometime, uh, definitely in the spring. I might hit you up for some coaching because I want to definitely take a better approach this next year. And really, you know, I felt like it's good to hire a coach early on, whether, you know, you're getting into like lifting for the first time or running, because obviously that can give you a lot of base knowledge. But I almost want to get those, those beginner mistakes and lessons out of the way so that I can actually absorb and understand, you know, what a coach has given me and utilize it properly and uh, not have any kind of like ego along with me, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I would add is like, um, be aware of your fueling, right? If you're not practicing it already, uh, start practicing it now and you have to find out kind of what works for you. Mm -hmm. So fueling and hydration, practice it on those longer runs. Um, and then in the long runs and especially in the race, you need to eat early and often and you need to yeah. eat earlier than you probably think you do. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely so been important. planning that out and, you know, figuring out my, my targets for, you know, calories per hour, how I'm going to get those calories what digests well. One thing that uh, I know for sure I'm not doing because I, I noticed this near the end of my uh, trail half marathon I just did a couple weeks ago was uh, I was at like the last aid station. It was like two, three miles out. So it wasn't that, that big of a deal. But uh, I stopped by it and I was like, okay, there's some like candy there. I was like, you know, it's good, good quick sugars, whatever. So I grab uh, like a Twix. I was like, oh, Twix will be good. But as soon as I open it, it's completely like melted. And Along with that, it's a caramel like candy, right? And my mouth is already dry, and so it's just like just you know, it just coats your mouth, and it's the worst thing ever. And then you regret it instantly. So I know, okay, there is a food to stay away from, uh, but definitely it's you know, it's like finding the right foods. And I don't know, the thing I've kind of told myself is at the end of the day, it's just keep moving forward. Like the, you know, whether you're you know, you could run a section or not, as long as you're just not spending too much time stagnant or at an aid station and you just kind of keep that progress moving forward. I feel like you, you'll end up finding that finish line. Yeah, 100%. You, you will find it. I think that ultra running is a test of 
like your ability to one be alone with yourself in the woods for several hours on end mm -hmm. um but two just keep moving forward when stuff gets hard um and so that's the thing i think like obviously you want to start out well and bank a lot of stuff early on because mm -hmm. you don't have a second like you can't switch gears you don't get like a second wind you're not going to run the first 30 miles for example at seven minute pace just as an yeah. example uh drop down to eight minute pace for or 8.30 pace for 10 miles and then get back to seven minute pace. Like that's gone. The moment that leaves you, that's gone. Um, but know that you can just keep moving forward and keep moving forward and you'll do that. But don't eat anything that um, that you haven't practiced. It would be my biggest recommendation. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm trying to just stick to basically gels that uh, – I really like the gels I just got. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but Untapped. I think it's just a brand or Untapped Nutrition, but they're this like – The maple, the maple ones? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had them? No, I haven't had those, but I like anything that's kind of whole food based. Um, and I've had a lot of luck with similar things in the past. So, and a bunch of my athletes also use the untapped ones. So I think, yeah, it's I product. like the untapped just because, uh, compared to I've used, uh, Oh shoot. What's the brand called? Like, is it H U like who or whatever? Goo. Goo. Well, no, I've used goo, but, um, uh, Huma, Huma, gel. Huma, Huma, Huma gel. there it is. Yeah. Huma yeah. gel. So I've used Huma, and that's almost like a jelly consistency. Goo is yeah. obviously a little bit like thicker. I like the the syrup one because it's almost like just straight liquid, and it doesn't leave yeah. too much of a weird aftertaste or stickiness in my mouth. Um, and yeah, that's why I like those. And um, I think those and there's um, like this. Uh, I think it's sport science of sport. One of the, I, think I don't like know, that. but it, you Those... know it's a big one. I don't know if you have a, a strong opinion on it, but spring energy, that's obviously like a yeah. big thing right now. It's very like I feel like influencer push, but god damn they're expensive, dude. They're like four dollars a gel. Yeah, so from like my first my first three years of like competitive ultra running, so uh Rafal, the owner of Spring Energy, like he was a huge like support system for me. I was on the uh -huh. I was on the athlete team for three three or four years. Okay. Uh, so I left to go with Endurly and and that's what I still use now to this day. It's expensive, but like I, I like the whole food aspect of it. Like yeah. brown rice syrup is probably the least natural ingredient that you're going to get in any of their products. And they have like a number of calorie options too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I was definitely like looking at them and I do like that there's like the whole ingredient and, or, uh, you know, like whole food kind of ingredient base to it. Uh, but the other thing I'm looking at fueling with is uh, – I'll shoot. I'm having like a brain fart here. Oh, I'm mixing in a little bit of tailwind, you know, but I also just, I'm lucky that I don't have to, I do need to obviously focus on hydration and electrolytes, but because it's going to be a colder race, it's, I feel like it's less, uh, less destructive if I make a small like tweak or mistake on it, you know, versus if it was like a hot race and I'm losing electrolytes fast. Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, there's a little problem, maybe a little bit more room for error. I like yeah. liquid calories, especially early on in the race. Yeah. Um, liquid calories work out really well for me because it kind of serves a dual purpose of hydration and, and and calorie intake. Yeah. So enough about me. Have you ever ran a hundred mile race? And if not, you know what? What kind of? I guess are you looking to ever get back to those longer distances? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I haven't run a hundred miles. Um, I've primarily focused, at least in races that I was like seriously trying to race. Um, at the kind of 50k to like 100 100k distance so like mm -hmm. but really 50k to 50 mile has been my kind of go-to yes i would love to do uh some longer races and i definitely have something you know i'm getting some races planned for the for the winter here in texas and in spring 
So yeah, I'm definitely going to kind of take it up in distance as well. Okay. I feel like I have unfinished business with ultra running. So the functional <laughs> fitness thing is going great, but I'm going to do both. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it made me laugh. The one post uh, you had, it's probably almost a year ago now when you were going to do uh, one of those last man, or you did one of those last man standing races and you dropped because it was just boring <laughs> or something. You said it was like just yeah. a million loops. Yeah. I just went with my friend, like, cause he, he wanted to race it, but like I'm a Michigan football fan Yeah, and um, they're in the big 10 championship that day for like the first time in in my since, since the big 10 was was made or the yeah. big 10 championship game was a thing um so like you know i got to like i think i got to like eight hours and there were still so many people left in the race and the guy who were going to win the race was running like 11 minute miles and i felt like the race hadn't even really started yet and i was like this is just boring my friend already dropped out so yeah. i was like let's just go back to the airbnb so i can watch michigan beat iowa and win the big 10 championship <laughs> there's no way i was missing that not not to walk four mile loop. Um, so for me, it didn't feel like a real race. And I dropped out of that and realized I won't be doing that ever again. It's the most boring yeah. experience of my life. I didn't, yeah. I wasn't tired. I was bored. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the, uh, what was the race? Um, or it's Big's Backyard, right? That uh, Harvey Lewis and uh, this Japanese guy, they got almost to like 300 miles, right? Just doing Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was the same exact, yep. Same exact format of race. Just, uh, no way. No, I'm not doing anything for three days. I don't have the time <laughs> for that or, or no. the mental strength. So. No, I don't blame you. So uh, I don't want to hold you too long, but what is next for you personally? What kind of events do you have coming up? Or I know you mentioned you got an app that you're working on releasing with uh, your training and coaching. Yeah, so I have a few things. Like I have a, like a, an app geared towards strength and kind of like hybrid training for runners. Um, so that'll be called a hybrid strong app. That will be dropping soon. We've run into a few delays with it, but we're working through it. Um, and then in terms of racing, like I, um, one of my, one of my athletes, uh, she's like doing a lot of promising kind of like high rocks and deck of it stuff. Um, so we uh, decided to join up for a team. So we're going to race at high rocks, LA, uh, just try to get a world championship qualifier to go back to the world championships and see if we can't kind of win this time around in the mixed doubles. Um, also racing with Victor Casada and men's doubles in Dallas here. He's a Spartan pro. And then going to turn my attention after that to uh, some longer stuff before High Rock World Championships. So uh, maybe something in the 100K realm, but I want to get back out on the uh, on the trails or something like that and do some kind of mental challenge that way. Um, and then I have a, actually an event with Roan uh, coming up, which is like the competitor to the 10,000. <laughs> you guys Don't speak there, of but, their name. No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, a few Roan athletes and I yeah. and, and Roan are doing a, a relay race from – um, LA to San Diego. So that will be next month. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. Yeah, that'll be sick. That'll be sick. Yeah. Cool. So where can yeah. people find you and, uh, and get more involved, I guess, with your coaching, if you have spots open, things like that. Yeah. So, uh, best thing to do is I, I guess like first, if you want to check me out, um, you can check me out at, uh, runstrongtc.com. The TC is for track club. So it's runstrongtc.com, or you can reach out to me at markbottenhorn.com. Uh, and then the best place to get like actually a hold of me is probably Instagram. It's a platform that I'm most active on. So that's Bottenhorn Running. And um, I, I try to be really reactive there. And anybody who reaches out to me, I try to make sure that I answer. So if something slips through the cracks, it might. But overall, I think I'm pretty uh, responsive. So you can hit me up on there anytime. I love to talk training. Um, not even if you just want coaching, but if you just want to talk in general about, about any of the training stuff or have any questions run past me, let me know. I'm always happy to talk. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.